Coming up on this episode, Harold Lindsay Bird, Harold Lindsay Bird, David Ma, My Country, Godless on Netflix. And Bandersnatch, also on Netflix. Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. So I'm Carl Quinn. What do you think about David Ma? I don't have a strong opinion on David Ma, other than to say that he strikes me as a pretty bright chap, mm-hmm. very, very well read and very, very well written. Mm-hmm. So Why do you ask? I'm reading his book that I got for Christmas mm. called My Country. I think it's called My Australia. It's My Country. Are you reading it on Kindle? No, I'm reading it on you a book. Now, My Country. You have no excuse. We've okay. talked about this a little bit before. You know, when I read stuff on a Kindle, I frequently mm. forget the mm. name of the author, the title yeah. of the book. I just know oh, I'm enjoying <laughs> reading it. I've got some words. I don't know what yeah. these words are, but yeah. they're doing it for me. Yeah. Because you don't have a cover to mm. refer to. But when you've actually got the physical book in front of you, you're right. Andrew Young, you're you have no right. excuse. Right. I've got no excuses. I make no excuses. I ask for no quarter, and no quarter shall be given. <laughs> So, My Country, I thought it was a really interesting title for this book. It's a collection If of, indeed that is the title. It's a collection of essays <laughs> and thoughts. David Maher is a journalist who, and an author who everybody who listens to this podcast that is in Australia would have heard of at some point. And the thing that I've been thinking about David Maher lately, and I'm a big fan of his work going way back to Arts Today, I love his voice. He's is the kind of voice that you wished and you hope would represent you. If if you could be represented by a voice, David Marr's voice is the kind of Australian voice that I like. And it's the kind of Australian voice that when I was a kid would not have found favour with any of the kids at my school or their dads uh, because he would have sounded like a poofter. His voice reeks of poofterishness, which Australians hated in the public sphere in those days. I can remember being told by a kid in my class, you know, as if I needed this advice, if you want more mates, you have to talk more Australian. I don't remember canvassing for more mates from this guy or anybody else, but apparently if I want more mates, I need to talk more Australian. Now, as far as I'm concerned, David Maher talks as Australian as anybody should or ought to talk. And his homosexualism is of no interest to me whatsoever. It's of great interest to him, of course. And he talks, he writes about it in this book. It's, it's not that interesting to me. It's not my topic, but I'm, I'm happy for him to write about it. And he's probably well known for writing about another great Australian homosexualist, Patrick, Patrick White. Patrick White, yes. And his view of Australia is the thing that, is, that I want to just bring up right now because he has an idea that Australia is a really kind, friendly and generous place. He thinks Australia is not represented by Pauline Hanson or George Christensen or even by Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison. He thinks Australia is people who are generous and kind and have no antipathy towards immigrants or people of foreign birth or people who are gay. Do you think that's wishful thinking? I Look, I, I live in a very small bubble. Mm. Uh, it's a little bigger now that I've left the manor of Fitzroy, but it's still a small bubble. Yeah. And he, he travels the country. So he has much more authority to speak about Australia and Australian people than I do. And yeah. he says he provides evidence. He puts some great ABS statistics in that last thing I read of his from a uh, quarterly review. Uh, is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Um, and he, he doesn't just say this because he feels it. He provides backup and says, you know, a great example is the, the um, marriage equality plebiscite where a much greater number than anybody expected a percentage of various demographics voted for what people are calling marriage equality. And he feels that that, that bears out his philosophy that we are kind people, we are uh, 
generous and we are welcoming mm. and we are not afraid and we, we, we don't respond well to the idea that we are being threatened and our politicians telling us that we are under threat and that we are in danger, which is a common thread through European and American politics, people being cowed. Yeah, and th- th- there was an interesting um, moment, I guess, in the Victorian election mm-hmm. where uh, – which – was in November yes. and just before the election, like a week or so before the election, we had the Burke Street attack, yes. and we had immediately, probably two weeks before the election, and immediately we had uh, the Liberal opposition leader, then opposition leader Matthew Guy, trying to jump on this as without overtly yes. making the link, but I don't think it took too many no. steps, and I don't think anybody missed the no. fact that he was doing it. Tried to make the link with. If you elect us, this yes. sort of thing won't happen. Exactly. Try to turn this moment yep. of madness and and um, fanaticism, perhaps, but probably more mental illness, mm. into uh, into a law and order issue. Yep. And, and he'd been trying law and order for a really long time. Been trying it over and over and over. And and I, I wrote a piece which yep. sadly wasn't published because it was deemed to be too political at the time about in that two weeks. You mean immediately after I wrote it the next okay. day or okay. day after that. Um, uh, it, because there was an election campaign going it's on, it was kind of like, should we be, you know... Canvassing a Well, view. should we be going into Matthew Guy? And basically the point I made was, you know, enough is enough. Yep. Enough is enough of saying enough is enough, basically. Yes. Because it was it's just the lowest common, common denominator. And the thing, and the reason I refer to this is that... The reason I refer to this is that it was such a delight to mm. see that Victorian voters just rejected that. Yep. They saw through it. And yep. they didn't want it. Yep. And I, 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 I felt more proud mm. to be a member of this populace, I think, than I ever have done. Than as a Queenslander. Strangely, yes. <laughs> you felt yourself, today I'm a proud Victorian. <laughs> I'm not a proud Queenslander. I didn't have too many days of feeling uh, proud when I lived in Queensland under the Bjorki-Peterson government. No. Regime. No, regime. Some call it yes, the regime. Yes. Dictatorship. I think we yeah, just went the whole way. Story. The whole way, yeah. So David Marr writes... Beautifully, mm. and and like other authors, you hear his voice when he writes, and he writes a lot about politics in this book, mm. about the politics of the past, about Whitlam, Gorton, Garfield, Barwick. If you don't know those names, then I'm not going to tell you to look them up. I'm just going to tell you to buy the book. It is hovering around the forty dollar mark. It's a hardback book. You may I, wish I to just looked it up on yes. online. You can get it for about thirty three. In I, fact, you'll okay. be delighted. I, I'm I Andrew think, Penny Pincher Young. To I think discover. thirty. I'm going to say this, and and I won't often say this. I think thirty three dollars is a fine price to pay for this book. It's it's hefty. I know we're not allowed to say fat anymore. It's <laughs> a hefty tome, which is odious cliche and you know i don't like to speak in cliches rather epigrams that people can quote (laughs) often i'm going to recommend this book to and a funny thing uh, i have a friend who received it for christmas on the same they have christmas on the same day in western australia no way yes he's a listener only three hours behind and he but he put a picture up of it on facebook i don't put pictures of my presents up on facebook so that's how i knew he got it but it's a great read and it's something that is, is useful if you want to think about Australia in different terms than the ones that are being given to you by our federal government. It's, it's, it's something that we'll, I think we'll find, we'll find a new readership amongst people who might not even know who David Maher is. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I, I think that there are both these things exist, coexisting in Australia, I mm-hmm. think. You know, there is a generosity of spirit, and, yeah. and I think that is definitely a, uh, 
a fairly common thing mm-hmm. here, um, but I think there's also a parsimoniousness of spirit as well. There's that, a, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> You might as well come out and say it. I know you're talking about me, aren't you? Uh, look, you know, that, that, I was just trying to make conversational eye contact. I was, that wasn't accusatory. It really wasn't. But, you know. Hey, I was accused of being a really nice man. I was, I was accused of being a really nice man. The other day, I went to the house I used to live in and I knocked on the door. The woman opens the door. I say, this is the key to your toilet. And she was, she would have hugged me if she knew me. Which is right. You don't hug a strange man knocking you on the door. She's been in the house for two years. She hasn't been able to go and use the toilet because it's been locked. No, 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 no. The toilet's been unlocked. She hasn't been able to lock the toilet is is my point. And I thought it's about time that she or anybody else using the toilet should be allowed to lock it. So I had had actually tried to return it once before when I was home. And I also gave her a bag. Climbed through the kitchen window. Dishwasher (laughs) parts. Right. (laughs) For the rubbish dishwasher that that house has. And so both... Gestures mm. made me out to be some kind of good bloke, and I don't think that makes me a good bloke at all. Giving something that doesn't belong to me to somebody that it belongs to or to the house—that's not being a good bloke or a nice man. But apparently, in this day and age, it does. I'm not patting myself on the back at all. If anybody has any stuff that doesn't belong to them, that belongs to their old house, go and give it back. Okay? Don't do it for praise or hugs, because hugs lead to drugs. Just do it because it's the right thing. That's the kind of Australian I like. Okay, so there's a television show that I keep forgetting the name of, mm-hmm. but I've got it right now. Godless. Godless. Well, I mean, let's treasure this moment yes. because you have yes. remembered the name yes. of something. I've remembered the name of something. I even can tell you the name of some of the actors. No way. Yes. <laughs> and don't just, just let me go. Jeff Bridges is an actor in this. Michelle Doherty is an actor in this. And... Oh, Merritt Weaver, <laughs> who is one of my favourites, absolute favourites to watch on the screen, is Merritt Weaver. Just her eyebrows, uh, the way she purses her lips and looks askance. Oh, she's marvellous. It's a show set in the old American West. And you may remember on a previous podcast we were talking about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and how it didn't seem to have a lot of women in it that were actually doing anything. Well, this is completely the reverse. The The main story, the, the stage is set in a town with no men. There's been a terrible mining disaster and there's practically no men left. And so it's a town full of women and all the major speaking parts, all the, all the best stuff is done by women in this show. Jeff Bridges plays an awful, awful, frightening man who leads a band of thugs and renegades committing heinous crimes and... One of his band leaves and takes refuge in a barn and is shot by Michelle Doherty and a relationship ensues plus the band... So he's not shot dead? No, no, no. Right. The band of thugs and renegades that is led by Jeff Bridges is out to find him because I think he stole the proceeds of one of their, their robberies and there's this sense of impending doom throughout the whole the whole show. It's quite frightening. There's also a mining... Uh, what would you call him, plutocrat, who comes in and is is trying to reorganise the town because it, it was a mining town, of course. And it's gripping and it's frightening and it's great and everybody connected with it says pretty much against the spirit of the times, this is it, we're just doing the one, the one seven-episode show. There's really no need to go any further or farther. It's very exciting and I 
urge anybody who, who would like to watch a show set in the old American West that has heaps of women in it that aren't prostitutes. I mean, obviously some are, but that aren't just decoration so to th- watch this show. The, the fellow who gets shot, yep. is he called Roy by any chance? Yes. It's Jack, Jack O'Connell, uh, the okay. uh, English actor mm-hmm. um, who starred in Unbroken. He was in 1971. He was in... Uh, Starred. He's done. He's done quite a quite a bunch of stuff. And apparently, he's in something else. Uh, I was watching it the other day. Uh, watching something. I don't know what I watch. You know that he's in something, and and he's obviously getting a lot of work. I'm never going to remember this guy's name, but other people will for me. Thank you, Carl. Uh, it's great. Watch watch it. If if you can't remember what it's called, I'm not going to. I don't know how how I can help you because I keep forgetting what it's called. Where so did you see it? On television. Right. I don't even know how. Uh, is it on Netflix? I don't know. Are you talking about um, Trial well, by Fire? No, I'm talking about uh, the, the show that I'm talking about. <laughs> Godless. Well, where did you see it? On television. Right, where? In my house. What do you mean, where? <laughs> on the television in room D. I watched it. <laughs> what was the platform? Oh, I think it's on Netflix. <laughs> I don't know. Do I, do, do I have to provide that information? Can't I just, <laughs> it might be of some help like, to people. I didn't people. tell you who the publisher of uh, the David Marr book is, but I think it's Black Ink. It'll be Black Ink. Yeah. Of course it will. Yeah. Yes. You know that. <laughs> That's easy. That's easy. Oh, and it's got a really nice Faber-style mm. cover design. Mm. You, know, you know, Faber, they're beautiful typesetting, beautiful typesetting and lovely typefaces, and they will just have the author's name and the, the name of the, of the book. It's done like that. Godless is on Netflix. Godless is on Netflix. There you go. So you better hurry up and finish it before your 30-day no, no, subscription no, ends. No, I, your bought, trial. I bought another month. Oh, no. I bought another month. Oh, my gosh. 10 bucks oh, my gosh. Somebody wanted to watch The Crown. Mm. Mm. Where are all the men at? Good. Bang took them. All of them. How has the town fared without any men around? Someone's got to look after things around here. A town full of ladies. Bang, bang. It's ripe fruit for the wicked. Andrew, yeah. since you've got another month of Netflix, can I recommend that you have a look at Bandersnatch? Okay. This yep. is a, a standalone um, film-length or feature-length episode of Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, have you I watched, watched any Black oh, Mirror? Yeah, I love Black Mirror. I watched yeah. one last night. I yeah. love it. It's, okay. I don't know if I'm right or wrong in saying this. I don't know if this has been bandied about amongst pundits like yourself. It's, it's, I think of it like a, a, another Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, yes. Yeah. Is, uh, I, the, the people I, are saying that? Uh, well, I just wrote a review of uh-huh. Bandersnatch, yeah. and I referred to Black Mirror as a sort of uh, a Twilight Zone-style series about technology. I am, yeah. I was stealing it in advance. <laughs> Which is kind of a Black Mirror-esque it's kind of thing. Man travels forward and back, stealing stuff, and then making it his own. So Edison, maybe. Mm. Anyway, yeah, um, so Bandersnatch. Standalone, uh, if, you, if you have a look at the, the tile on, on your Netflix uh, you know, screen, your homepage, mm. it'll come up and it'll say it's one hour, 30 minutes. Yeah, okay, but it's not. Well, it is and it isn't. Right? I read somewhere that you can get through the whole thing in about 40 minutes if you want. Okay. I spent in excess of three hours on the weekend watching it. So it's not... It's interactive. Uh, it's an choose interactive choose-your-own-adventure choose uh, yeah. piece of filmmaking. I love those. Do you like those books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, well, I, I love them. I didn't really... I, I don't know that they were around when I was a kid, but they were okay. certainly around when my oldest child was a kid. Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. Um, that's when I discovered them. Great but, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's set in 1984. There's a young 19-year-old guy uh, uh, who's, who's basically a computer game 
developer, nascent computer yes. game developer, and he wants to create a game mm. called Bandersnatch, yep. which is based on a novel, a choose-your-own-adventure novel yep. called Bandersnatch. Right. Uh, and the author of this novel went completely bonkers and killed his wife. Right? Mm. And there's a there's a that's a, a shame. There's a, a force for evil within this novel, right. Called Pax, who is the thief of destiny. So there's this notion of uh, Pax Latin for peace. Yes, but not that's yeah. But yeah. Pax has a different meaning here. Yes, it's spelled P A X. But then there's a there's a secondary Pax, which is P A C S, which is program and control. Study. Uh, there's. Oh, look, I'm it, not going to. I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole on this. Is there packs like packs of durries. <laughs> it's packs of drugs. That, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> certainly packs of punch, and yeah. it's it's got. Oh, I don't know how many parts there are in this, but there are. There's a whole. It's sort of chopped up into segments where you you're watching it for a period, and then you. I watch this on my via my PlayStation. Okay, so I sometimes watch Netflix via my PlayStation. I often watch it via my um, my phone using Chromecast, right? But on on the weekend, I was watching. I was watching on. I was watching on the PlayStation and uh, controlling it with with a remote control. Yes. And it basically the advice as you start the movie says have your remote have your controller in hand. I always do. Uh, uh, well, yes, indeed. A man who likes to have his hand on it and be in control. And it, as, as <laughs> various prompts throughout the movie, mm. the controller vibrates and it alerts you to the fact that you're about to have to make a choice. And mm-hmm. and you basically you know you, you usually have two options on mm-hmm. screen mm-hmm. and the sort of screen lifts up ever so slightly. There's a little bit of black space yeah. comes at the bottom of the screen and you get two options, right. and Q&A. and you will get prompted to go this way or that mm-hmm. way. You could resist that prompt if you so chose. Just keep watching. Yeah, well, you choose and then and then it takes you down a path. Oh, okay. right? so you but if you choose the other, do, you do have to do something. Yes, you, you do. Yeah, yeah. and if you choose the the other one, yeah. which you're totally at liberty to do. You'll go down a slightly different path. Okay. Right? Yep. Often, though, that'll take you to a dead end, and then you will loop back to that point at which you made that Make choice. A choice. Yes. So, in a, in a in a strange way, it's presenting you with the illusion of choice. Yeah, of course. But it's really guiding you towards particular outcomes. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I as I said, I spent about three, maybe three and a half hours watching this on the weekend. So I looped back a lot, yeah. uh, and I explored as many different avenues as I could find. And I, I can't say that I have seen every iteration, yeah. but I've certainly seen, I think, probably most. Mm. Uh, I reckon there's probably five or six quite distinct endings mm. to it, um, although there's overlap in yeah. those endings. Uh and it's just enormously good fun. It okay. is really, so really clever. Well, some people will find it annoying. Yeah. Some people won't like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say you probably won't like it. <laughs> <laughs> is it adult? Is it an adult program? Yeah, it's, it's totally, it's, totally it's adult. adult yeah. yeah, and it, it is. I mean, I think it's absolutely the whole thing mm. is about the notion of free free will and yeah. choice and yeah. the illusion mm. and uh, the degree to which you really do have control over over such things and over your people destiny. Who work, people who work in offices and have meetings mm. once a week will find this perhaps a bit too disturbing. Why? Because, well, people who work in offices and have meetings, of course, like to imagine that during those meetings things get planned and then things get done and they've right. all had a say in that planning and the doing of the thing that was right, brought right, up. Right. The, but, of course, that's not the case for people who have meetings and the people who... Uh, 
hold the reins of the stagecoach that is your office will have already decided what is going to happen. Right. And they might say, we'd like your thoughts and we'd like your views. But you know that deep down your thoughts and views, while they may be aired, will not be acted upon because the decision's already been made. Mm. So this will be interesting for most people. There might be a whole lot of defenestration well, going on. Perhaps. Throwing themselves out of office buildings. Perhaps of it ought to show. be prescribed viewing for anybody mm. who works in an office. Space. And mm. perhaps they should have a session where instead of doing a PowerPoint presentation, yeah. they just watch Bandersnatch. Good. Good, you should tell. Well, we are, aren't we? This is what Carl recommends, people who work in offices. I don't really work in an office, so I, I, you know, I, I kind of absent myself from this, recuse myself. I'm completely wedded to the illusion that I have free choice. <laughs> I understand. It's an adventure game based on the book. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? When it's a concept piece... Bit of madness is what you need. I'm reading a book by a New Zealand poet whose name is Hera Lindsay Bird, who is enormously popular. No relation to Hera the dog? Don't know. No. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't get it. I'm not sure it was worth getting, but anyway. The book is titled Hera Lindsay Bird. Now, she actually has uh, one out now that, that's more recent than that, but I, I recommend starting with this one. It's really wonderful. Now, you're holding a copy holding of this, it, yes. and, and I'm noticing that on the, on the spine it has Hera Lindsay Bird, Hera Lindsay Bird. Mm. Now, it's and kind I, of like I, the eponymous, on, the the eponymous debut collection of poems. Yes. Yes. And what I also like about it is that there's an attempt at anonymity with the cover shot yeah. of the author sitting there, face completely covered by hair. Says her name twice. Yeah, so shows her face. Nunce. So there's... <laughs> It's, it's about, like, so much poetry. It's about despair and love and hate and loss and a need to be able to express that candidly, but also uh, with beautiful turns of phrase. Now, there is a poem... It's quite a lot about sex as well, isn't it? There's a lot of sex, but at the same time... I'm, I, there may be a world of poetry out there where it's just all sex, and right. I just don't. I read Simon Armitage. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot of sex in Simon Armitage. He's a British poet. So while to us it may seem that there's a lot of sex mm. in this, to, to poets of Harry Lindsay Bird's generation and scene, it's probably just the right amount. It's probably the exact amount of sex. Right. Uh, the prescribed amount of sex. Prescribed amount of sex. I'm going to put a clip of her reading one of her poems, Ways of Making Love, and you can enjoy it. But there in, is a poem. In iambic sex amateurs, perhaps? Or no? There is a poem in here that is not about sex, that is not about love, that is not about loss, that is not about despair. It's on page 28, and it's called Monica. And it's about the television show Friends. <laughs> and okay. I hate the television show Friends. I wished it had never existed. So Monica was Courtney Cox, right? I suppose so. You tell yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Her name's Monica Geller. But this is a, a poem about how the, the poet feels um, about uh, Monica and about Ross and about Chandler and about Phoebe and about how... Rachel. Rachel. What about Rachel? Does it mention Rachel? I'll read you a line. Monica Geller of popular sitcom Friends is one of the worst characters in the history of television. She makes me want to wash my eyes with hand sanitizer. She makes me want to stand in an abandoned Ukrainian parking lot and scream her name at a bunch of dead crows. Nobody liked her except for Chandler. He married her. And that brings me to my second point. What kind of a name for a show was Friends when two of them were related? And there's more, but you can find out for yourself. Uh, it's, 
So she's um, almost as misanthropic as you. Yeah, I will say that it, it is... I'm, I'm going to say it's my favourite poem only because it it is. <laughs> <laughs> but Ways of Making Love is also wonderful. So Harold Lindsay Bird had a website, I believe, where people could contact her, but she said to an interviewer recently, all she was getting was old men sending her erotic poetry and uh, feeling that they'd made some connection with her because, as you say, there's a lot of sex in her poems. Mm. And so um, don't contact Hera Lindsay Bird <laughs> with your erotical poet poems, okay? They're probably not very good, and she doesn't want to read them. I'm not her spokesman, of course. We, we have, I don't, we've never met. I follow her on Twitter. Do you? Yeah. Uh, she writes really funny – oh, in fact, retweets some really good – Pithy stuff. Right. Worth following on Twitter. I follow Anthony Green on Twitter mm. and Phil Liggett on Twitter. And Are you going to run through yeah. everybody you well, follow? Because I, I don't follow many people, like five people. Lee Sales, right. Annabelle Crabb, that's about it. Okay. That's all, all right. I follow. Great. Great. So it's an even balance between males and females. Well, if there's only five of them, that's not true. Okay, maybe there's another one. I <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend her work, Lovers of Poetry. I also recommend Simon Armitage's latest book as well. <laughs> Uh, the Unaccompanied, which is poems about people who sit at bus stops and go to shops. And it's a real, if you want to read real poetry of despair, read some Simon Armitage. Well, Andrew. Yes. That's been rather a literary episode of The Clappers. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Blank verse. What do you think? I like rhythm. I like meter. That is my definition. But blank verse is fine too, as long as you don't get carried away. That's it from this episode. We'll be back with more soon. 